Welcome to IABTI Blast, the podcast for bomb technicians and investigators. All right, welcome, Blast listeners. Uh, this is uh, Brennan Phillips, uh, Region 1 Director with the International Association of Bomb Technicians and Investigators, your occasional West Coast podcast host. And today we're going to talk about something that's near and dear to my heart, and that's the correct use of bomb and explosive-related language. We're going to talk about detonation versus deflagration. And here today, I have with me uh, our, my esteemed colleague here, uh, Chief Explosive Scientist with the FBI, none other than Dr. Kurt Yeager. Thank you for being here, Kirk. Oh, thanks for the invite. Yeah. So I'm excited at the opportunity. Uh, for those of you, you that might not know, in addition to his day job at, at FBI, he uh, volunteers to help us as the, uh, as the chairman of our uh, board of advisors, you know, people in our community who have a lot to contribute, who help guide our international association with, uh, with timely advice. And uh, so, uh, and then for those of you who do not know, uh, readers of The Detonator, uh, which this uh, podcast relates to, uh, he also heads up our peer review panel. So if you write an article, uh, which I encourage our members to do, uh, uh, and it's a technical article, then Kirk and his team are going to come in and uh, do a peer review on that, and then you can claim on your CV or resume to have a peer-reviewed article. And uh, so that's kind of the genesis between our topic today. Um, I've written a couple articles, uh, as Kirk has as well. And um, uh, I wrote one and then got a tasking from our international uh, business office to, uh, hey, uh, why don't you uh, do one on, uh, or we had a request from the membership for something on uh, detonation, deflagration, and explosion. Uh, so that's what I wanted to do here, and that's something that's kind of near and dear to my heart. Uh, is hey, let's let's use our language correctly. Words have meaning. So uh, kind of to start off to frame here, just a simple way of thinking this about this is all detonations are explosions, but not all explosions are detonations. Wouldn't you say? That is a very accurate way of summarizing those two concepts. Yes. Right. So, uh, however, we're, we've all been guilty of using, maybe not you, Kirk, but certainly <laughs> I have, and, and I'm sure a lot of our members have, of misusing or just generically using detona- detonation. Hey, that detonated when we probably should just be using the word explosion. Yeah, and it's something I gotta I gotta catch myself with on occasion as well. We all get lazy. We all get into the vernacular of our field, and as you said, words do have very particular meanings. And as a scientist, detonation, deflagration, explosion all have very particular meanings. And if you're like on a on the witness stand, it's it's even more incumbent upon you to try to use the most accurate definition that you can. And and we all get lazy. Right. It's the nature of being in any any field. And I think that's okay as long as we just understand we have a basis of scientific understanding. We don't have to be scientists like yourself, but we should operate, we should strive to operate from a, a basis of scientific knowledge uh, so, so that we do know the difference. So then we are writing a report or we're getting ready to testify in court, we understand the difference and, and we're using the information uh, correctly. So what I want to just, you know, th- this will be a relatively brief podcast, but uh, if we can hit on uh, the terms detonation, deflagration, and deflagration to detonation transfer. I think those are important concepts for our members to know something about. Yeah, I agree. I think those are those are foundational to our, our business, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. So just, uh, I mean, a, a quick way to surmise this, or, or just to kind of to start out here, I think we just simply state that, hey, uh, deflagrations are a slower velocity reaction 
as compared to detonations, which are a much faster velocity reaction. And I always, you know, kind of when you go to bomb school, and, and I've had the privilege of going to uh, NAV school EOD, uh, being a military EOD tech, as well as a public safety uh, HDS graduate. Uh, you know, when you go to bomb school, this kind of gets explained as the speed of sound. Is it faster than the speed of sound or slower than the speed of sound? But that's, to me, very simplistic and, and maybe not all that helpful. It's it's not only not helpful, it's wrong, Okay, quite frankly. I can even, you know, convolute this even more by saying you, it's a continuum. You have basically a combustion reaction. So you can go from combustion to deflagration to detonation. It's all the same chemistry, but speed is everything right. here. And it's not the speed of sound. That's where people get all confused. A detonation is a very exact term. In fact, it's probably the only term we have really exact definitions, scientific definitions, to really give us a dividing line. Okay. And every material has a speed of sound in it. Water has a faster speed of sound than air because it's denser. Right. So if, okay. you, if you hit a bar of steel with a hammer, you're going to hear the ping on the other end faster than if you slap water and you're, you're in a, a certain distance and you're waiting for that sound wave to travel because steel's denser. So, so the concept here is not the speed of sound as, as we typically think of it through air. It's the speed of sound through the substance in question. Yes, what we, what we call the speed of sound through the unreacted material. Okay. So that's the, that's the dividing line. So if you have chemistry that is proceeding faster than the speed of sound in your material, the unreacted material, you have a detonation. If your reaction is going slower than that speed of sound in the unreacted material, you are not in the realm of detonation. And that's what's so hard to understand because every material has its own particular speed of sound, which is controlled by density and other factors. And so... I couldn't tell you what the speed of sound is in any right. of these materials, but we know what the detonation rate is in TNT and C4 and, and materials like that. Right. So, and I think that's really important because who knows? Or, I mean, uh, I'm sure there, I'm sure that can be figured out. But you know, what what is the speed of sound through a particular substance? I mean, that's hard for us to to, to wrap our heads around, or it's just not common knowledge. No, it's not common knowledge. I'm sure there's tables for it out there. It's just something I've never quite frankly looked into myself because I kind of know where the detonation velocities lie. And unfortunately, we have that the one number of 3,300 feet per second, which no one can explain to me where it came from as the cutoff between a detonation and a deflagration. And that number has no bearing on real scientific okay. analysis. It's, it's kind of, if you want to use it as a rule of thumb, kind of, well, somewhere in this vicinity, okay, but it's not a hard cutoff. That right. hard cutoff is the speed of sound in the unreacted material and, the, and how fast your reaction is going versus that number. So our, our business is full of rule of thumbs and even wives' tales. So I think it's important to, to get beyond that. And, and so, you know, c coming from out of bomb school and, and as a junior uh, EOD tech and as a, you know, young HDS grad, if you will, uh, you know, it's not until some years down the road I had the opportunity to uh, take Dr. Conklin's uh, mm -hmm. class kind of based on his pyrotechnics uh, book. And back in the day, he used to do that at Washington College oh, yeah. on the shore of a uh, uh, over there in Maryland on the Eastern Shore, and it was, you know, crab and beer. Oh, I, I sat through that, and it was renowned for its food. Everyone would come back right. talking about, oh, my God, the food. Great course, great material, but the food, uh, I think, surpassed that in, right. in everyone's. Well, one of the ways he explained uh, detonation versus deflagration, really kind of like all of a sudden the light bulb came on for me is, you know, and, and of course now we're on a podcast, I'm going to probably use my hands just because I can't do this. I know, it's, it's, it's but difficult. But we have the, the, that reaction moving through the unreacted material or from the reacted material to the unreacted material, wherever that, that front is, if the shock wave then is, you know, jumps out in front or, or is proceeding, then it's a shock wave driven event. 
and then that's a detonation. I get, and that should be a chemist's sort of definition of a detonation. As opposed to a deflagration, the shock wave and the reaction front are moving together. They're, they're at the same speed. And, I mean, that, that's a, there's, a, there's a simplicity to looking at it that way, sure. and it's, it's not totally wrong. The way I always try to give a, a just analogy for it is when you have that shock wave moving faster than the speed of sound, those molecules don't see anything coming. All okay. of a sudden, they're just hit by this instantaneous pressure pulse when the shock wave hits them, knocks all the bonds apart. You know, these atoms that then rearrange, and this is happening in, you know, microseconds, rearrange, pumping off energy, which keeps feeding that shock front. When you have a deflagration, even though it's going fast, you know, faster than human eye can perceive, you actually have time at the molecular level for radiation and heat to go in front of the shock and the reaction. So there, there's a little bit of warning to those molecules in front of that major freight train that's coming at them because things are preceding it. Okay. And then all of a sudden, it's hit by the pressure that moves on. So there's there's some preheating that goes on. In a detonation, it is moving too fast for anything to know what's going to happen until they're hit by the shock. So if you're going to bring it down to the level of the molecule, that's kind of where the differentiation occurs. But I mean, suffice to say that a detonation is a shockwave-driven event. Yes. Deflagration is more of heating from layer to layer. Yeah, fast. There, there's radiant. Yeah, there's radiant heating and other things that that precede the shockwave. And now, it's certainly important to understand, though, that uh, we can have very violent deflagrations that, you know, I, I often joke like, well, you, you hold some explosives in your right hand and let's hold some explosives in our left hand and one deflagrates and one detonates, maybe flash powder over here and some TNT over here and you tell me which one hurts more. You know, I don't know if that's fair, but, you know, you can have very violent deflagrations that look like detonations, but, but at a chemical level, they are not, in fact, uh, detonations. Yeah, and, and that's because that's part of the problem in, in our perceptions and, and why people say, well, that detonated. And a good example is black powder. When people say it detonates, black powder is physically unable to, to react that quickly to actually produce a detonation. But I don't want to be sitting on top of a 50-pound keg of this stuff. Right. It may be deflagrating, but I'm disseminated into the environment. So it's, it really, it's an academic argument at yeah. that point. Yeah, and a lot of this is academic, but what we want to be careful is going, and, I, and we, you and I have seen this, uh, going into court, and somebody yes. says, oh, well, that pipe bomb full of black powder detonated. Well, now yes. you open yourselves up for um, for attack because you, your credibility is in question because it's physically incapable of detonating. It functions by a deflagration process. So you've made this error, and you do that in the wrong context, the court, and you you know, if, if the, the defense is competent and, the, and they're, they've got their own expert, uh, they may hand you your lunch. Uh, yeah, and are, are they may just undercut your credibility. They can bring someone to say, well, the, the uh, other expert just said that this detonated. And you have a good scientist who comes in and said, well, it's impossible. It could never happen. Detonation can't happen in this mixture. And if they have more credibility than you, all you need is that one juror who starts questioning, you know, what does that other scientist really know? And which, and as I said, I try to use a generic term of exploded right. in a lot of cases because you can't go wrong. Combustions, deflagrations, detonations can all create explosions. And explosions are just a rapid expansion of matter into a greater volume. And, and from a legal standpoint, it doesn't really matter. Uh, no. Did, did the bomb, if the bomb in, in question, so, you know, so I'm an ATF guy, so it's like the destructive device under Title 26, if it's a capable of, exp it says, exp uh, is it explosive? Yep. Is it any in, uh, explosive incendiary poison gas bomb uh, grenade 
rocket, rocket missile yeah. mine. Yeah. Okay. So, so that you know, it doesn't say detonate. It says exp- uh, explosive. Yes. So it covers the whole spectrum. So we can have a deflagrating bomb or a bomb with deflagrating explosive. It qualifies, right? Yes. And that and that's the thing. That's why explosion is kind of the safe word right. because it meets all the statutory requirements. It meets scientific kind of description. And unfortunately, detonations just become this word that people, you know, gravitate to and use without its proper context. So, so maybe zooming out here just for a second, uh, you know, on the spectrum, we kind of hit on this yeah. uh, initially is we're on a, uh, a continuum, a continuum of, you know, from campfire over here, combustion, <laughs> yeah. right. Or burning buildings. So the, the people involved in arson, a lot of our members are also involved, you know, in the 921 uh, NFPA oh, uh, yeah. arson world. Okay. They're investigating arsons deflagrations, detonations, they're really all redox or, or, or oxidation-type reactions, are they not? Yeah, oxidation-reduction reactions. You're taking oxidizers, fuels, mixing them together, undergoing almost identical chemistry, pumping off CO2, water, and other products like that in heat, heat and energy. And so kind of where where you start arguing angels on pinheads is when you have a match, all right? You just lit a match. <laughs> well, is that a combustion? Was that a deflagration? I know it's not a detonation. And so trying to parse out where deflagration and combustion are separated becomes much more problematic, which is why, you know, would it explode? Well, is it a ma- and then I, you end up arguing, well, was that match? Was, it, was that an explosion, that rapid, what was a hissing sound? I mean, there's a lot of truly academic arguments that, that become involved there. To me, an explosion is a rapid expansion of gases. If it can do work, such as create fragmentation and throw things outward, then it kind of fits into our world of the IED. You know, a, a one match head is not going to explode with any great violence. You, you pack a couple thousand of them right. into a metal pipe, and they give off their gas a little bit faster. So it's, it becomes, everything's a matter of rate, quite frankly. And, and this can be really important for an investigator, bomb technician to know, especially if you, you get involved in court and you're having to advise prosecutors or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, counsel who don't know anything about explosions. And I've had this certainly happen, mainly in pyrotechnic fireworks cases where, uh, the defense will all of a sudden say, oh, hey, hey, this thing deflagrates. Ergo, it's not a real explosive, so case dismissed, yeah, right? And, yeah. and then you've got to kind of help educate everybody. The, the defense, or, you know, it doesn't really matter to some degree. You know, we're supposed to stay above the fray. Could, you know, yes. The opposing counsels, opposing uh, counsels. whoever they be, may be, you're there to educate. Hey, look, deflagration is just type of an explosion uh, or explosive. A deflagrating explosive is still an explosive. It's not exempted somehow. Yes, and that, that's, that's again, you're trying to educate a lot of, well, you're educating prosecutors because they're the ones who are reading your report mostly and that you're being brought in by, but the same thing. You're there to educate the court, defense, prosecutor, judge, juries, and that's all part and parcel. It's like, yeah, deflagration is still a violent event, and it still can create an explosion, and an explosion is what we're concerned about with this IED. It's something that was designed to produce an explosion. Explosions aren't good things. Right. And right. so, you know, anything that can produce that kind of fa- fast energy release is dangerous and right. can create damage and create hurt. In, in the context of an improvised explosive device, it's really almost about impossible for us to say, does this thing deflagrate or detonate? Well, I mean, once again, this is academic. Who, who knows? Yeah, for it, some materials, it, it is very right. difficult, and I don't, I don't walk down that road. Right. So, you know, especially in the U.S., for our U.S. listeners, and, and but also applicable uh, around the world, is smokeless powder. So, you know, we talked about black powder. Yep. And, uh, uh, you know, black powder, the classic, you know, the, the most ancient explosive, it's a deflagrating explosive. Yep. Smokeless powders 
are generally made to function by a process of deflagration as a propellant. However, double base powders, you know, it's, smokeless powders are controlled through three things, uh, like all explosives, I suppose. And I mean, you're the chemist here, but density, morphology, the shape of the thing, and then the chemical makeup. So in a case of a double base powder, mm-hmm. we have nitroglycerin added into the nitrocellulose. Correct. Some of them have a lot of that, like red dot, bullseye. Those things can, in fact, go to detonation velocities in the right conditions. And, and one of the things I tell people when I teach is we break things into low explosives and high explosives. Right. Uh, that's something that's very common in our field. And a low explosive is designed to produce a controlled release of gas. And that's why we classify smokeless powder as low explosives because they are designed to do something. Just because something is designed right. for you, it's also designed to be put in a small cartridge in small quantities. It's not des- designed to be put in a two-inch steel pipe and smacked with TATP. Right. The, the minute you do that, you've taken it beyond its design specifications and you've introduced enough energy to initiate the nitroglycerin into a detonation reaction or you can actually have DDTs in smokeless powder. You can actually, in the right configurations and confinement and sizes, start a burn, and it can travel fast and create its own shockwave and go into a detonation. So that's one of those materials that can DDT. The urban legend, and I'm not sure how much science is behind it, is typically about a two-inch pipe is what's required uh, okay. to, to create the situation. Well, DDT, I, I think I saw a research report in that years ago, but I'd have to go back into in my annuals. So the, but the concept being, so DDT being deflagration to detonation transfer, and this is also another important yes. concept to understand. So uh, if I have a big... Big old pipe bomb, two inches by, say, you know, a foot long or longer, and that's filled with something like uh, bullseye or something, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the the dots, the red dots, the something, green yeah, dots. Something the, high nitroglycerin yeah. content. And uh, I like that with a hobby fuse on one end, it, it, there's a possibility, and we almost impossible for us to say as bomb technicians, but, you know, we have to be aware there's a possibility that thing might transfer from a deflagration into a detonation. That is true, and that's basically... It starts off as a real fast reaction and basically builds up pressure so fast that it, it launches over into just compressive shock wave and then heat's not radiating anymore. It's just going. And, and probably a better example of that is a large ammonium nitrate fire. You look at the West fire, oh, the ammonium right. nitrate. That, it was just in burning. It was burning and burning and burning until it wasn't. Right. West and, Texas. Yeah, yeah, sorry, West Texas. And, and at that point, you know, just like Texas City, the Grand Camp and the High Flyer, those bags of ANFA were burning until they weren't, and it launched an anchor <laughs> a mile right. when it detonated. So things on fire, explosives on fire, can go into this transition, whether you, you, you put them in a high enough energy rate, energy state, and at probably in some of these fertilizer, fertilizer fires, there's like a, a building collapse or something where you actually shock it a little bit at that okay. higher energy state. But you can actually transition through the fire into a shock wave. Which, you know, I think we all kind of know the, the story of, hey, I'm, I'm you know, Vietnam, I'm, I'm lighting my, uh, my coffee cup <laughs> with my C4. block of C4, and then I drop my coffee cup on it, and now we've gone from a, a burning block of C4 to a detonating block of C4. Or someone's coming, let's stomp out this fire. Stomp out this fire. Exactly. You've introduced shock energy into it, and it a higher energy state, and it's it's gone over. It's no longer a deflagrating. It should material. be an example of a primary high explosive RDX, in you know, with this binder and all that sort of thing. Very much capable of making this uh, transition. Uh, you know, something for us to be aware of. So, uh, so smokeless powder certainly probably our number one filler here. Yeah. Maybe Pyrodex is you know, is, is, which is a black powder substitute. You know, and they're, they're all run, they're running neck and neck, especially here in the U.S. Uh, you know, just kind of a side note. You know, as an ATF guy that. 
smoke as powder is an explosive, but it's, it's, it's specifically exempted from regulation because it's a component of small arms, Second Amendment. Uh, yep. Doesn't change it from not being an explosive. Nope. Uh, and it's not, ex- it's not exempted what you put in a pipe bomb, but, uh, you know, in general, it's exempted from sale. Uh, but being out of the Northwest, my, one of my most common pipe bomb fillers, grenade fillers, uh, is flash powder. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I, I've gotten to witness this a few times. It's a super fun activity for a bomb tech to sit back and watch explosive chemists like yourself get into a room and argue about whether flash powder detonates or, or deflagrates. So your, your comments on flash powder. And, and that's a tough one. Uh, and what I have found, if you look at a flash powder pipe bomb, and I've set off pipe bombs, two by 12 inch pipe bombs with flash powder, you, you initiate with an electric match, your velocity is going to be about 900 meters per second. Which is pretty zippy. It's pretty zippy, but it's below the sure. threshold of what you'd expect for, for a shockwave. If I hit it with a detonator, it goes up to like 1.7 kilometers per second. Okay. So it, it basically doubles. Now, the question is, what is the speed of sound in flash powder? Because aluminum and, and perchlorate have pretty decent density. And is it truly, truly detonating? And why people, scientists and chemists, argue that it, it's difficult for it to detonate is for detonation, you need shock pressure. Mm-hmm. And shock pressure needs uh, high-temperature gases. Flash powder has aluminum, which goes to alumina in an explosive, which is going from solid to solid. So you don't form as many gases in flash powder. So it's harder for it to produce the gases to produce the pressure. It produces just enough gases at the temperature that it's moving. But the, de- the, the argument is always, well, what's the speed of sound in this material? And are we actually exceeding it in this chemical reaction? And since it has these two kind of lower-end an upper end, as far as I'm concerned, about 1.7 kilometers per second, where, it, where it's, I've seen ANFO, or sorry, ammonium nitrate, pure AN, will detonate it, basically that velocity. I know that's the velocity that things can be within the realm of detonation, but I don't know what the speed of sound is in flash powder to know if it's truly exceeded that, which is why you know, I've never really dove any deeper into that uh, area, but that's why there's so much contention there right. amongst scientists. Yeah. But it's, it's fun to watch. Oh, yeah, yeah it's, it's I mean, just it, great. Uh, uh, if, if, if you like that sort of thing. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but flash powder is a, a unique animal. And, and you know, that, so we treat it in a kind of particular way. We yeah. say, well, look, it, it kind of looks like a low explosive, but it's got a lot of risk. And, and so this kind of gets into just, you know, taking a risk uh, view of all these things. Black powder. Is, is kind of dangerous in the sense it's pretty ignitable. Let's, you know, uh, go back into history and people are always blowing themselves up with black powder. And so, uh, you know, flash powder is in that same boat. It's, it's pretty easy to ignite. Maybe it doesn't truly get to detonation velocities, but uh, we, we definitely don't want that stuff exploding around us or in storage. And uh, as opposed to true primary or um, secondary high explosives, it's relatively insensitive uh, to initiation. So while it's got a lot of uh, ability or, or potential to do damage, it's relatively safe to store primary explosives that, you know, really designed to do that, that detonation to deflagration tra- or deflagration to detonation transfer. But we, we produce that in small amounts and we mm-hmm. safeguard it. As to where flash powder, uh, we make a lot of it and put a cardboard box. So it's got some real risk potential to it. So ATF says, Hey, if, if you put it in a cardboard box and you got a bunch of it, bulk flash powder, you got to store that as a high explosive. And, and that's probably a really smart thing to do, quite frankly, right. because what we have found the flash powders that we make, the chloride aluminum flash powders, if you have one gram uh, and you put electric match to it, it'll probably give you a, a combustion, you know, mm-hmm. a flash and a little bit of puff. If you put two grams, just that much in self-confinement with the same electric match, it'll give you a report. 
Okay. And that report means that you produce gas enough to produce some pretty high pressures. And so it's actually going to destroy the container and, and do some damage. So that's, you know, flash powders, we treat with a lot of respect because it doesn't take a lot of energy to initiate them to start off with. And when they when they do initiate, they can do some nasty things to the environment. They self-confine pretty quickly. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So you know, we kind of talk about confinement. Uh, so smokeless powder, very, very, you know, driven by confinement. I mean, it's yeah. performance. But flash powder, uh, we've seen over and over again, it, heck, it, it'll self-confine itself. And very small quantities. Like I said, uh, two grams we find in a pile will do that. But once again, if you're going to the court, you know, wh- whether that deflagrates or detonates, it explodes. It explodes. And if you filled your, your bomb with flash powder, hey, that qualifies uh, illegally as a bomb, certainly federally, and, and certainly going to be the case in, in most states that I'm aware of anyway, uh, is going to qualify as a you know, destructive device, improvised device, uh, bomb, however that's termed in the, in the particular statute that, that's uh, at hand. So. Yeah, and, and the problem with that, as, as you know, the FBI gets involved in the same arguments. As meant you have flash powder, it doesn't matter how much you have. The the defense is always arguing it's just a firecracker. Right. Because it's a fill that's used in pyrotechnics. And, and the thing is, well, no one uses this much and gives it to the consumer. No one uses 100 grams in, right. in their firecracker. And it's not a firecracker. This is a destructive device. It can kill someone. Yeah. And, you know, of course, uh, uh, we always need to be careful as, you know, we're talking to folks like, oh, is this a firecracker? Is it a firework? That tends to kind of, uh, downplay it as yep. opposed to, hey, it's an illegal explosive using a very powerful ex- explosive. Uh, and in, in certain places, uh, you know, having served in Afghanistan, in certain areas the in Afghanistan, that really flash powders are the number one explosives. Ammonium nitrate, aluminum powder is very co- common in some areas. But, uh, in, in, you know, depending on which group you're dealing yeah. with and what they have access to, flash powders are been, you know, knocking our vehicles off the road and, and injuring uh, coalition uh, uh, service members for years. So, oh, oh, yeah. And, and we, saw it in, we saw it in 2002 in Bali. They used a ton of right. flash powder against the, uh, the, the big club with, there. Oh, yeah, yeah the, the vehicle bomb there. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's, uh, at that point, it's acting like a high explosive as far as I'm concerned. And then the, of course, the flash powder has the incendiary effect of all that burning aluminum. A lot of heat, a lot of heat gets and, pumped and, out of it. And uh, you've kind of got this extended pressure wave that comes off of it is that, uh, um, you know, the aluminum is going through its process there and uh, definitely has the... It adds a lot of heat, which which helps raise pressure. Right. It's just it's ideal gas law. Yeah. So, uh, well, anyway, that that's kind of what we wanted to cover was the, the, the discussion of... Um, uh, detonation, the correct use of, <laughs> of, of the term. Yep. Uh, understand a little bit about deflagration, detonation. I think what my recommendation, and I think you would echo this, is, uh, hey, use the word explosion or explode. A lot safer. A lot right, safer right, that right. way. And then uh, I, I think you can, you know, it adds credibility to the bomb technician than if you can go ahead and explain this. So if the question is, does this deflagrate or detonate? Well, I don't. It's difficult to say, uh, it, you know, for, in an improvised device, that's very, very difficult to determine. Uh, you've got some knowledge about the, the differences, and uh, but at the end of the day, it's still an explosive. It's still regulated. It's still, uh, you know, uh, falls within the legal definitions. Yeah, I think that's that's a good way of summarizing it. it it's nice to be able to give it a little bit more context. It shows that you're knowledgeable, right. and you can say, well, it depends on these variables, but. It's explosive. At the end of the day, reinforcing the most important part, which is it can explode. Therefore, it can do damage. It's part of an explosive device. Right. So 
that's kind of what we're talking about today. I, the, the, um, I've got an article that I'm working on that uh, Kirk, I'm sure, is going to put through a peer review process. So Look hopefully forward. hopefully it'll be, uh, uh, you know, when that comes out and this podcast can kind of go along with that as a companion piece, uh, that it would be technically accurate and, uh, you know, information you, you can hopefully rely on uh, from your association to, uh, to help uh, uh, make you a better bomb technician, a better investigator, a more effective public servant and, and guardian of, of the public safety. Hey, I really appreciate it. Uh, you taking the time today to, to hang out with me a little bit and BS about uh, detonations and, and, and deflagrations. It's a lot of fun. Thanks. Thanks again for invite. Okay. Thanks. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the IABTI Blast podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of IABTI. The IABTI is not responsible and does not verify the accuracy of the information contained in the podcast series.